Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with a horrific crash on Highway 1 that's claimed the lives of four people. Tragically, they've all been identified as BC Wildfire Service subcontractors. And Jordan Armstrong joins us live in the studio now with more on what we're learning about this very early morning crash, Jordan. Chris and Sophie, it has been a difficult wildfire season for those on the front lines with now six people working directly for or affiliated with the BC Wildfire Service losing their lives. Police say this morning's crash happened around 2 o'clock near Wallachine, which is located about 70 kilometers west of Kamloops. The four were in a Ford F-350 pickup truck traveling home from the Vanderhoof area, roughly a six-hour drive from the crash scene. So far, the investigation points to the pickup missing a bend in the highway, crossing the center line and colliding head-on with a semi-truck. All four occupants in the pickup died at the scene. The semi-truck caught fire, but the driver of that vehicle managed to escape. The four that were uh, unfortunately uh, pronounced deceased in that truck were uh, subcontractors of the BC Wildfire Service. And so they, uh, the previous day, were assisting uh, the BC Wildfire Service in fire suppression efforts in the area. And that morning, it's understood that they were likely driving home to their home communities. It's been such a tough season, and this is just... Uh more bad news that's really it is it's emotionally wrenching and, and heartbreaking to to hear of people who are completed their work uh, on their way home and uh, meet with their deaths on the road it's uh, it's really tragic as a reminder of what our firefighters do today we heard the tragic news that four firefighters in british columbia were killed in a vehicle collision on their way home from fighting fires. Our thoughts are with their loved ones and their teams. Now, we do not know at this point where the four victims were from. Their names have not been released. The highway was closed for hours, but has since reopened. Sophie, Chris, back to you. All right, thanks for that, Jordan. Now, protests and counter-protests across Canada today over SOGI, the sexual orientation and gender identity program being taught in schools. Tens of thousands of people took the streets, including in the nation's capital. The anti-SOGI protest dubbed One Million March for Children and participants say it's parents standing together against gender ideology in schools. The demonstrators say the SOGI curriculum takes parenting out of the hands of parents. Now, there were a number of counter-protesters who also were at those protests. We'll show you more a little bit later. But as protesters squared off, it got pretty heated in some cases. But as Grace Key reports, for the most part, it remained peaceful. A heated rally in downtown Vancouver with anti-Soji protesters and a counter-protest group. I'm a Christian. I'm not trying to get your kids so to pray. I. 
I'm not trying and you to know get, what? My God I'm believes not trying to get in your acceptance kids to and love. Soji123 is a resource for teachers regarding human rights and sexual orientation and gender identity with a goal in creating a safe and inclusive environment. Those against Soji say they are protecting their children from indoctrination and sexualization. I'm here uh, for to stop them uh, trying to uh, make us gay. Just here to stop the schools from these this sick agenda that they have out there, grooming our kids, and I've had enough. And these people were obviously paid to be here. Protesters were met with a much larger group of counter-protesters in front of the Vancouver Art Gallery. All it does is like teach children that, you know, queer people exist, trans people exist, um, and, you know, bullying is wrong and we should accept all folks. Um, they seem to have a problem with that message, um, and unfortunately it's become really wrapped up in this kind of freedom convoy, far-right, uh, mess. If we had had Sochi. If we had felt safe when we were kids, everything would have been different. In Nanaimo, tempers flared as police tried to intervene. Protests and counter-protests took place all across the province. Sex through self-declaration. In Victoria, police asked demonstrators to go home and advised the public to stay away from the legislature because it was unsafe. As teachers, we want to make sure that our schools are inclusive, safe places, regardless of somebody's sexual orientation or gender identity. I'm particularly upset with the SOGI uh, uh, one, two, three program that is teaching children sexuality. I, I personally believe that the, that the concepts being taught are adult concepts. In Vancouver, the march ended with no apparent significant incidents and no end to what continues to be a controversial topic. Grace Key, Global News. Now, while almost all of BC's political parties are speaking out against the anti-SOGI rallies and in support of the curriculum, one party leader is expressing his support for the protesters. Richard Zussman is live now with more on who is saying they would eliminate the SOGI program if elected. Richard. The Conservative Party of BC, Sophie, promised to do things differently and now they're standing out on this issue. John Rustad saying that if he ends up as the Premier of British Columbia, he will get rid of SOGI 123 in this province. Leaders of all political stripes at UBCM this week and they are saying that they don't agree with what the Conservative leader is putting forward. It's a policy designed to create inclusion in the classroom, now creating divisiveness among politicians. It just breaks my heart, uh, the way we are away, uh, the children are being politicized. Uh, and here we are so focused on their safety. Amid rallies across BC where supporters of Soji 123 dramatically outnumbered protesters, the upstart conservatives promising to dismantle Soji saying it's become a distraction. It's creating friction, certainly between parents and, uh, and, and teachers in the schools. I really think we should be taking those things out of schools. SOGI, or Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity, is a resource for educators to address sexual orientation and gender identity in the province's school curriculum. The Conservatives also argue students, no matter the age, should use the bathroom assigned to their gender of birth or a gender-neutral bathroom, meaning someone born male and identifying female could not use a woman's bathroom. If I've got a nine-year-old girl who's running home to go to the bathroom because she doesn't feel safe in a bathroom in school, shouldn't those rights be important too? 
The Greens, BC NDP and BC United are all in agreement. They disagree with the Conservative Party of BC on the bathroom issue and support the crucial guidance SOGI 123 provides to teachers. We really got to break down this idea that something sinister is happening. It's not. Go have that conversation with your teacher. The BC United says within the SOGI framework, there needs to be more work done to communicate with parents suggesting many with kids in the system feel out of touch with the school when it comes to sexual orientation education. They want to make sure there's transparency about what goes on in the classroom because they are parents, it is their children, they'd like to know what's going on. And we think that that transparency as a principle is important. The government says all the information around SOGI 123 is available online. Parents can go and look at what these resources are that teachers are being provided and that a parent in BC should always feel comfortable to reach out to the teacher and have a conversation around sexual education or pretty much anything else. All right, thanks for that. Richard Zussman reporting live in Vancouver. Well, inexplicably, it has happened again. Another overpass in Metro Vancouver has been struck by an overheight truck. The province responded swiftly this time, suspending the trucking company's license. But who was behind the wheel remains a mystery. Troy Charles reports. It's an all-too-common sight on lower mainland roads. A transport truck pinned beneath an overpass. 7 o'clock Tuesday evening, the Main Street overpass on Highway 1 in North Van, the latest to be struck. The driver fleeing the scene, prompting a police investigation. Failed to remain a even accident is a criminal offence. RCMP say the driver has still not been located and the owner of the transport truck, Whistler Courier and Freightways, is not cooperating. The company has been fined $368 for failing to remain on the scene and there's more repercussions from the province. The company that was involved in the incident last night has had their entire fleet's license suspended pending the investigation by the commercial vehicle safety uh, agencies. Fleming added they plan to implement much stiffer fines in the future. The Transportation Ministry has been tracking bridge strikes since 2021. That first year saw only one reported collision, then a significant jump to 13 in 2022, and this year, 10 when you include last night's incident, for a total of 24 in the last three years. Mike Obel has 40 years' experience as a commercial driving instructor. He wants changes to the ICBC licensing process. Right now, BC's Class 1 entry-level training program requires 140 total hours, with 50 of those being on highway. Obel feels an apprenticeship approach, similar to most trades, is a sensible route. That gives you the ability to learn, to participate as a driver with somebody who is more experienced, and you're going to put in your 12 months or your 24 months. And at that point, you will be qualified, let's just say, on a semi-trailer. At the same time, adding that whoever puts the key in the ignition and gets behind the wheel bears responsibility. Buck stops with the driver. And if you don't have a tape measure, if you don't understand uh, metrification, you better pull that truck over before you go under and do the math. Meanwhile, the identity of the driver in this latest incident still remains a mystery. Troy Charles, Global News. Staff and customers at a Burnaby coffee shop have been traumatized by an alleged indecent act. And Burnaby RCMP are asking for your help to identify the suspect. The incident happened Friday, September 8th at a Starbucks in the 4800 block of Kingsway. 
The victim called police immediately, but the suspect was gone when officers arrived. The suspect is between 60 to 70 years old and is balding with gray hair. If you witness the incident or know who the suspect is, you are asked to call Burnaby RCMP. And in West Vancouver, charges have been laid in a series of assaults on a transit bus and a nearby home. It happened Tuesday afternoon. Police say a man on board a bus in the 5700 block of Marine Drive punched two elderly passengers in the head before repeatedly punching the driver. They say he then went to a home and assaulted two more women. None of the victims was seriously hurt. Quinn Dalton Berry has been charged with four counts of assault and one count to break and enter. He remains in custody until his next court appearance September 26th. A new report finds short-term rentals have a multi-billion dollar impact on the B.C. housing market. The McGill University study says so many units have been shifted to short-term vacation rentals just in the past year. There's been a double-digit decline in housing availability. Aaron MacArthur has the details. Despite the abundance of condos downtown, Vancouver faces a severe housing shortage. Low vacancy rates and record high rents exacerbated by a key contributing factor. Booking process is simple. Sites like Airbnb promise convenience and profit for owners, but drain the rental pool. For every apartment taken off the market and posted for short-term use, the costs are borne by long-term tenants. Shrinking the amount of supply that's out there. You know, you have the same number of renters trying to find a place to live and just fewer options available, so the prices are going up. According to a new report from McGill, in the summer of 2023, nearly 17,000 homes in B.C. were short-term rentals, a 19.1% decrease in housing availability. Short-term rentals contributed 28% to the total rent increase over last year and led to renters absorbing $2 billion in costs since 2016. There really aren't a lot of other examples of low-hanging fruit equivalent to short-term rentals, where you've got, you know, 17,000, let's call it, properties, which could just overnight be turned back into long-term rental housing. In an effort to crack down on illegal suites for rent, the city of Vancouver last week raising license fees for short-term rentals tenfold. No, I think $1,000 is pretty reasonable because it is still very lucrative, even with $1,000 license fees. While cities like Vancouver have managed to deal with the issue of short-term rentals, the organization Fairbnb says smaller communities don't have the bandwidth and is arguing the provincial government needs to step in with some overarching rules to help deal with the situation. And so that will be reflected in the legislation that's coming this fall where the province steps in and takes a, a bigger role in uh, addressing short-term rentals. Without significant action to curb the growth of short-term rentals, experts say rents and home prices will continue to be out of reach for more and more Canadians. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, the city of Victoria is getting creative in its quest to create more affordable housing, taking the tax collected on short-term rentals and putting it toward a new rent-controlled apartment building near downtown. But as Kylie Stanton reports, what sets this project apart, all 40 units will be earmarked for workers in just one industry. The hospitality industry is all about opening doors and making people feel welcome but more and more of those working in it are feeling shut out. 
It's kind of interesting to see that people that are in retail, in hospitality, in tourism are the ones that are very often at an entry level position. So they're really falling through the cracks and they're being left behind with the increase in the cost of living. Now, a partnership between the Greater Victoria Housing Society and Destination Greater Victoria are working to change that. All those in favor? In early September, the City of Victoria approved a request for $2.5 million, what will come out of the taxes collected from short-term rentals like Airbnb to assist with the construction of a $19 million, 40-unit affordable housing project here on Quadra Street. You know, 40 units is 40 units, but what we've demonstrated now is a model that can be replicated in a couple of years' time, and it's a first for a big city. Whistler and Tofino have tackled similar projects in order to house staff, but are often funded through the employers who need them. But officials in Victoria say things here have hit a tipping point and it's time to get creative. We're a hospitality city. We, we have a huge tourism city and as a result of that we rely on our employees to be able to live here or as close as possible. It will be months before the Greater Victoria Housing Society can break ground and likely years before the project is complete. But with roughly $800,000 a year coming in through short-term rental taxation, the hope is by then another project will be in the works. We call this taxation with a purpose and a plan. So it's a unique model and we're really proud of it. Kylie Stanton, Global News. The Surrey Food Bank in a state of crisis. There is more going out the door than coming in. And the organization is making a desperate plea for more support before the shelves go bare. How you can help next on the News Hour. The robot will run to you and, oh, I'm so happy to see you to come home. UBC experiments with robots for seniors. The little green cutie that could be a friend for life. Later on the news hour. And later in sports, on the eve of Canucks training camp, expectations from big boss Jim Rutherford coming up as well. Right now, though, we have reported many times on the struggles facing BC's food banks, but the Surrey Food Bank says it's now dealing with an unprecedented crisis. And as Kamal Kuramali shows us, the food bank says it's taking what could be a knockout blow from inflation. Long grain rice, thank you. It's a day just like any other at the Surrey Food Bank. The doors open. Thank you so much. And the race is on. Hundreds of families looking to snap up whatever they can. Multigrain bagel. The need has never been greater. Ooh, potatoes. This helps provide dinners and stuff like that, which is immensely expensive. The Surrey Food Bank seeing an increase in demand for food. Okay. And it's obvious. As you can see, this is our freezer. And it's looking so empty. Even to the naked eye. Now we are seeing new people coming to us who have never been to a food bank before. It has to do with the surge in prices at the grocery store and the increasing cost of having a roof over your head. If you actually have a mortgage or you're renting, you're likely paying way more right now. Absolutely. All the while the number of donations coming in not keeping up with the amount of food going out. Okay. I think if the donations keep going down, I think we might not be able to survive. The number of clients jumped up from 35,000 in 2022 to more than 46,000 in 2023 and predicted to spike up to 61,000 households in 2024. The food bank's numbers show the donations can't keep up with the increasing number of clients. $4.3 million in donations in 2022, up to 5.6 
7 million in 2023 and then forecasted to drop in 2024 to 5.3 million. Some meat in there. Although there appears to be light at the end of the tunnel. We expect the food inflation rate to go back to its sweet spot of 2%. Uh, somewhere in the middle of 2024. So things are actually stabilizing as we speak. But before that happens, a growing concern, the shelves will be bare in just a few months from now. Kamal Karamali, Global News. In a bid to make it easier to call for help in an emergency, the Vancouver police are offering free cell phones for seniors. The phones are being made available to seniors on a fixed or low income and being funded by the Vancouver Police Foundation. Now, the phones don't have data or texting capability, but they do feature large, easy-to-read keys to make dialing easy and a 14-day standby time so that everyday charging will not be necessary. We're seeing how seniors, sometimes they're embarrassed to call 911. They don't want to bother police or they just physically don't have the means to call 911, especially when they're out and about. Uh, a lot of seniors do have landlines. Uh, that's kind of the, the uh, older generation. But a lot of seniors, when they're out and about in the mall, on the street, and they're in a time of crisis or an emergency, they don't have the means to call 911. So this allows them to have that opportunity to call us. The free phones can be picked up at VPD headquarters on Camby Street. People just need to show their ID to get one. Coming up, a West Kelowna restaurant rises from the ashes. When the wildfires wiped out their dream spot, how they jumped into action to help the community. Plus, it's so wonderful to have these guys around. Taking the stress out of travel, new measures at YVR to help you relax. Good evening. Traffic is moving pretty well in both directions over the Port Bridge right now. You're still seeing a bit of a delay, though, for eastbound traffic on the approach through Coquitlam. Kermac Collision and Auto Glass's newest location is in Vancouver on Southwest Marine Drive, conveniently located between Camby and Oak. Kermac, the most trusted name in collision repair for 50 years. I'm Trish Wissin in Global One at the Port Bridge. One of the most iconic spots to be lost in the McDougal Creek wildfire is the Lake Okanagan Resort. But the owner of the popular tiki bar there spent no time wallowing in his own loss. As Jason Pierce shows us, he instead turned his focus to helping others. In the heart of West Kelowna, the Two Brothers Mexican Restaurant is a popular spot for the locals. How long have you owned this place? Uh, three years. Earlier this year, Antonio Ortega and his partners decided to expand a brand new tiki bar. So this is the main bar. It was the place to be this summer at Lake Okanagan Resort. There's a DJ station, a patio deck, a food truck. Patrons and staff enjoying the good vibes. Business was not just good, it was great. But then the unthinkable. The McDougal Creek fire spread fast, the resort on the direct path of destruction. The big winds, they spread the fire quickly. It just took 10 minutes to wipe out Ortega's dream spot. His business reduced to ruins. We lost everything right over there. We lost the tiki bar, we lost the food truck, the staff, they end with no jobs. And I think this for the community, it's, it's a big hurt. What was your reaction when you first saw this? Oh, well, you know, that's a lot of memories there, so, yeah, it's hard, hard to swallow. Yep, but um, well, it is what it is, right? From one day to the other, 
happened so quickly. Despite the severe loss and his torch tiki bar barely recognizable, what did Ortega decide to do? He shut down his West Kelowna restaurant and they went to work in the kitchen and started making meals for the first responders and evacuees. We understand that a lot of people lost a lot of things. Like even we know that this more families that they lost more than we actually did. And I think it's good for for us just to give something to them, right? So it, just to help each other like as community. I think people who were scared and, and who didn't know how it was going to turn out turned to like making food and they brought it here. There was no hesitation for you to do this, was there? Well, this is not just me, right? This is the whole team. We just uh, was checking some numbers. Ortega is now looking at other locations for expansion, but his long-term vision, reopen that tiki bar and let it rise from the ashes at its original spot. Hopefully we can bring it back. Things happen for a reason. Jason Pierce, Global News. Wildfires continue to flare up in our province, but firefighters might get a break soon. We're in for a complete change in weather. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on what's coming. Christy. Chris, the BC Wildfire Service have been saying for nearly a month now what they need is a season-ending rain event. And while we can't guarantee that it is going to end the current record-breaking wildfire season that we're seeing, we definitely think this is going to have an impact. We've got a major change in the weather pattern expected starting the weekend through next week with a series of rainstorms that are going to move on shore. We're also hoping that this will make an impact on the current extreme drought that we're seeing. The impact will be focused on the south coast, but we'll see rainfall across much of the province for several days in a row. I really urge everyone to stay tuned over the next several days. This is a long range forecast at this point, more of a heads up, but we will refine it as we get closer. Sounds good. And we'll check in a little later. Thanks, Christy. A coyote has been euthanized following several reports of coyote attacks in Mission. The BC Conservation Service says a total of nine people have been approached and bitten by coyotes since the end of August. Six of those incidents happened last Thursday in the Wren and River Place area. The Conservation Service says the coyote that was put down matched the description of a coyote connected to three attacks. So far, no one has been severely injured and it's still unknown how many coyotes are involved. This behavior in particular doesn't just come out of nowhere. Um, it's kind of pointing towards that there is some feeding going on. And we, we urge the public to, to really refrain from doing that. It is a violation under the BC Wildlife Act. Um, and if we do get reports of, of feeding of dangerous wildlife, we will be following up with those reports. The Conservation Service is urging residents to secure any attractants. If you encounter a coyote, you are advised to appear large, don't run, make noise, and be prepared to use nearby objects as weapons if you need to. See them on the regular in my neighborhood. All right, coming up, Patullo Bridge party planning. That bridge in its glory um, is really the, the, it frames the city. Celebrating the span that will soon be obsolete and giving it the send off it deserves. Plus, from travel tunes to furry friends, the program proving less stress is best at Vancouver International.
good evening from the Patello Bridge, where traffic is in good shape in both directions, but don't forget there's ongoing construction at both ends, as well as on the bridge deck during the overnight hours. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert care for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. And speaking of celebrating, guess who's celebrating uh, maybe two days of being married? Trish Jewison. Congratulations, Trish. You and Leon, oh, thank the you. newlyweds. <laughs> thank you very much. She didn't see that coming. She didn't see it coming. You're such an amazing photographer. Did you have to shoot your own wedding or did you get somebody else to do that? We actually got somebody else to do it. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, we saw some pictures on uh, social media and you look beautiful and Leon is handsome and uh, good luck to you guys. Well oh, thank done. you so much, guys. Thank you. Oh, wow. And, of course, Trish showing us the Patella Bridge there. Uh, the Patella linking New Westminster and Barry is going to be decommissioned next year, but not without a special send-off first. A party on the nearly 90-year-old bridge will give the public a chance to bid it farewell properly. Janet Brown has the details. We're definitely not celebrating the death of the Patillo. This is a celebration of life. It's celebrating everything that the Patillo Bridge has contributed to our community. Planning is about to start on a party for the Patillo Bridge. The people would love to have a great party. It's an end of an era for the old Patillo Bridge set to be deconstructed once the new bridge is open. And some politicians in U.S. Minster say what better way to mark the end? and having a big celebration. I would love to look at potentially a drone show here in the evening. People have put forward about fireworks and for us to be able to maybe have a fireworks show with a barge. New Westminster Council passed a motion unanimously for a party on the bridge and the province has agreed saying details will be worked out by a committee. I'm envisioning uh, basically a weekend, even longer. Uh, there's a lot of cities around the world that have a one-week festival. The bridge was opened in 1937, and Barry Best's grandfather helped build the footings, and he still has the photos from nearly 90 years ago. I thought, there's the bridge, I'm going to park right there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some photos, capture uh, the bridge, the new bridge being constructed, and I can put them with the, uh, the, the photos of the original bridge. As for the new replacement bridge, it's slated to open next year. project is on budget and it's still scheduled for completion in 2024 and we can't wait for what is going to be a magnificent, beautifully engineered structure. Fontaine says many motorists will be happy for a new crossing. It's the good, the bad and the ugly. I've had a lot of people who tell me they are just so fearful of going across that bridge. They would love to be able to actually be on the bridge when they're not worried about uh, driving across it. The date for the party on the Patello still has to be decided. Janet Brown, Global News. YVR's therapy dog program aimed at helping passengers deal with stress is now being made permanent. What do you think about the program? <laughs> Very pleased. The Less Airport Stress Initiative, or Lassie program as it's known, is a partnership with St. John Ambulance. It offers anxious passengers the chance to meet some furry friends to help provide emotional support. It debuted as a pilot in 2017, but it was paused during the pandemic. The airport brought the program back this year and is expanding it to operate seven days a week. Whether you're a small child 
or whether you're a, a senior citizen coming through, it's amazing how uh, that interaction with a pet just, just removes so much of that anxiety. I loved it. It was so nice to like pet the dogs while we're walking through the airport. Like it's super stressful. The dogs are just a great idea for anyone that might be a little bit nervous and for anyone who loves dogs. Very comforting and it's very nice. YVR says the Lassie program featured six therapy dogs that provided more than 170 hours of support for passengers during the summer season. Good dogs. Did you say it was paused during the pandemic? It was paused. Is it? I think I did. <laughs> <laughs> Just ahead, what could be the key to a long and happy life? It wants to come to you and seek some love from you. The cuddly creature is providing companionship for seniors and why it's kind of like owning a cat. Also coming up in sports, can't miss McKinnis. Why he's so good at catching footballs for the BC Lions. Oh, we heard a little bit earlier, uh, summer is going to come to an end pretty quickly is what it sounds like, Christy. Yeah, I mean, but it's exactly what we need. We need to put a dent in the drought, of course, and we need to uh, have an impact on the fire situation. One of the things I know a lot of people may be worried about is, does this mean flooding? Still way too early to tell, but it's probably a good time to start to think about preparations, about prolonged periods of rain, what that would do in and around your residence. Now, what we've had for four months now, ever since April, is these ridge of high pressure that holds strong. We're going to see a significant change where we're going to see a dip in the stream and that pattern looks like it's going to hold just bringing a series of systems onto the coast and it looks like it could last keep in mind this is a long-range forecast but it could last right into the early part of October so we transition officially to fall late in the day on Friday and it's definitely going to feel like fall now we still have two more days of summer on the way and it will feel like summer for those two days before yes what you can see is a much different pattern than what we've been used to for the last several months and that's for those of view in the interior region as well. Much cooler conditions and rain on and off. Now, here's a look at your Thursday forecast, though, everyone. Some rainfall for the north coast and any cloud cover you see in the interior is just a bit of fog in the morning. Kelowna, we are expecting local smoke for you. Otherwise, mainly sunny. So two more days of sunshine. And keep in mind, when we get a series of systems move on shore, doesn't mean there isn't any sunshine in between. It just means that we get that prolonged period of rainfall that we so desperately need right now. Here's a look at tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Whistler, where they had a light dusting of snow early this morning. Thanks so much to Marta. You can see a little bit of it on the peaks there, but I'm sure the sunshine today helped melt it pretty quickly. Second day in a row, we've mentioned snow. Mm -hmm. and it's changing. Another sign of fall. Mm -hmm. Hockey season almost yeah. upon us, Squire. Well, yeah, not too far away. Training camp is tomorrow, and today Canucks boss Jim Rutherford said he doesn't think the Canucks roster is exactly where he wants it to be, but he is getting closer. We still have work to do, but based on what we had to deal with, we're still working through the cap. I think we pretty almost got it unraveled. Rick Talkin and the Canucks will start training camp tomorrow in Victoria, where they'll have 60 players to work with. Also tonight, I'm going to this is Kiwi, UBC's social experiment exploring the role of robots as human companions.
It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's training camp Eve, everybody. Oh, happy wow. training camp Eve. <laughs> Hopefully the Canucks aren't as flat as you just were, but um... <laughs> Wow. I thought you sounded lovely. I didn't really I didn't really <laughs> go for it. You didn't you didn't put your heart into that one. I didn't really put you my really heart didn't. into it. I probably should. Maybe at Christmas time we'll have more. We'll work on it. All yeah. right. So uh, training camp for the Canucks will start tomorrow in Victoria. There will be 32 forwards, 20 defensemen, and eight goaltenders. And Jim Rutherford believes with the changes made in the summer, which were mainly to help the penalty kill and the defense, he's more optimistic about this team than, say, he was this time last year. Um, I think, to be very to the point, the changes that we made we have a playoff team if everything goes right. Okay, your goalie has to be good, your specialty teams have to be good, you can't get into a lot of injuries. Okay, no, I'm not saying if one of those things go wrong, we can't still make it, because we have some impact players that can win games by themselves, okay? But we wanna to get to a point that we, that we have enough in our lineup that you can have a few things go wrong on a regular basis and overcome that. Now the Canucks are going to start the season underneath the salary cap because defenseman Tucker Poolman's two and a half million per year will not count against Vancouver. He will remain on long-term injured reserve with an ailment that has been a bit mysterious, but apparently it concerns things like migraines and neurological complications. He won't be at training camp and he's not expected to play at all this season. Uh, Tucker is not going to play. Uh, we supporting him and uh, uh, helping him in any ways to, to get his life back and feel good about himself. Uh, obviously, when you're coming into a situation like this uh, over the last couple of years, haven't played much, uh, hockey becomes secondary then. Uh, but Tucker uh, feels his support and, and uh, he got the necessary help. Uh, and uh, hopefully um, getting in a better place um, as we move forward here. Game five of the seven-game road trip for the Whitecaps. Takayoka and Vancouver is in Houston. Usually Brian White's headers help the Whitecaps. In this case, it hurt big time. Hector Herrera's free kick hits Brian White's head, goes in, it's 1-0 in the 13th minute for Houston. And just before halftime, I don't know what Vancouver's defense is doing, but what it should be doing is putting out a red carpet. Nobody want to tackle this guy? Nobody want to go near him? Griffin Dorsey scores to make it 2-0 in the 44th minute. They have just started the second half. Oh, tonight, Toronto's playing uh, Miami, and look what happened. The GOAT had to come out. Lionel Messi takes himself out of the game. Now, he didn't play the last game Miami had against Atlanta. They say it's not serious, precautionary reasons, but Messi is out of the game. And nobody in MLS wants to see him hurt. Okay, with Dominique Rimes unable to catch a break when it comes to staying healthy this year, the other Lions receivers have had to be a lot more prominent in the passing game. And one of those who has is Justin McInnes. Now, he was a huge part in BC's comeback win against Ottawa on the weekend. He caught eight passes, two of them for touchdowns. Boys, we are the boys in motion. We give you the right there, motion. Boys, we are the boys in motion. That's the man right there. Alex Hollins can carry a tune, and he's also hitting the right note when he sings about the Lions receiving core being art in motion. 
One of the moving portraits who's been in constant motion since signing with the Lions in the offseason is sure-handed Canadian Justin McInnes. He has 543 receiving yards and counting. His ability to catch the ball and his ability just to, you know, he high points the ball a lot of times, which is what I teach my kids at their football practice, you know, catch the ball at the highest point. He seems to do that all the time, which, uh, you know, just little things makes him uh, the, the, the dynamic receiver he is. When you're 6'5", that's what you're supposed to do. You know, don't never come down and catch the ball low because all you do is give DB opportunity to break it up. So he's using every bit of his height. His 6'5 plus his wingspan makes him about 7'2". So it's hard for, like you said, a 5'8", 5'9", DB to break the pass up, and he's doing a great job with it. He's a sizable target and one the Saskatchewan Rough Riders chose to let walk as a free agent this past offseason. So when the Lions came calling, McInnes ran at the opportunity to join BC. And he's made the most of a new opportunity. His Lions numbers of 36 catches, over 500 yards receiving, and four touchdowns while surpassing his three-year career totals with the Riders. Held on, McKinnis, a beauty. His second of the season. Highlight real material. I had a lot of playing opportunities, but I wasn't really getting the targets. And you know what I mean? I just didn't, wasn't really feeling too comfortable in the system. I wasn't really... You know, three years and my production wasn't that high, you know, and talking to the guys here over the offseason, you know, they were super excited to get me here. You know, it seemed like they had big plans for me and, you know, it's all paying off now. He, he's a pro, you know, he knows every single position. Guys get hurt in practice and we say, hey, you're moving from Y to Z or Z to W. And he already knows, like he knows it. So he's one of the few guys that can do that on the team. So, um, yeah, he's a pro, like I said. You know, obviously having my best year yet to date, coming off my best game, you know, it's just been one of those years that's definitely giving myself a lot of motivation. And Justin McKinnis and the Lions will be in Edmonton on Friday. There you go. I mean, your singing was like... I got to hand it to that guy. I mean, he was just way better than me in every factor. Yeah, almost exactly the same. Yeah, okay. right. Coming up, we'll meet Kiwi and Mango, two robots with big hearts and ready for a relationship. Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, of course, we're watching for developments in that terrible crash west of Kamloops that claimed the lives of four B.C. Wildfire Service subcontractors. Also tonight, from West Kelowna to the United Nations, here would Fire Chief Jason Brolin, widely praised for his response to the McDougal Creek Fire, told delegates at a U.N. event called From the Front Lines of the Climate Crisis and why he says when it comes to fires, Money is being spent on what he calls the wrong end of the problem. That's all tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie? All right, thanks, Jordan. All right, one of the toughest lessons we learned from the pandemic was how difficult isolation is for seniors. But there might be a high-tech solution. A new study out of UBC includes two little robots equipped with artificial intelligence. And as Jennifer Palmer reports, Kiwi and Mango are ready to be your friends. This is Kiwi. Kiwi. Yes, Kiwi. How are you, Kiwi? <laughs> and Kiwi is a social robot from Japan. It's an instant connection when Kiwi enters the room, the little robot captivating anyone who is around. I've just got the dearest bell friend on my lap. Meet Mango, another social robot helping to learn how senior care can be improved. And where is your friend? Human emotions, companionship, feeling connected, just some of the important things that help make life more enjoyable and being offered up by these robots. The robot was designed to bring joy to 
older people. UBC is using the robots on loan from Japan to learn what kind of impact technology and the environment can have on seniors and those who may be living with dementia. It will come to you with its AI-enabled machine learning. Each time when it comes to you, then learn a little bit about you and adapt to human beings. It wants to come to you and seek some love from you. Kind of like domestic cat, right? It's what the cat does. It just roams around in the house. And now when you come home, it's excited to see you. The robot will run to you and, oh, I'm so happy to see you to come home. The artificial intelligence will help the robots learn how to speak, recognize faces, voices, how to move around. They also offer up hugs and bring on smiles. <laughs> Kiwi and Mango are getting to know the residents at Alaka in West Vancouver. Charlotte, England is quite taken with the bots. Go, go to sleep now. <laughs> Do you want to try tickling his nose? Yeah, so you can rub his nose. Oh. <laughs> a cat, a dog, and a two-year-old baby combined together uh, so that uh, it feels like it needs the, the attention and at the same time, it gives the feeling of the resident of being connected to something. Do you want me to pick you up and let's go jogging? The robots will be here for one year for the study. This is the first time they've been to Canada, and they're set to leave a mark on hearts and minds. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Bingo. <laughs> that little thing coming That's at you with so the arms out like that, how could you resist? <laughs> so cute. Amazing. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, it definitely did feel like, to me, fall this morning. I had to put on an extra jacket, mm -hmm. Christy. Yeah. Well, definitely. The, the mornings are getting uh, cooler, that's for sure, as we get longer nights. At least, though, for the next couple of days, we have summer-like weather. And someone got mad at me for saying summer-like, but it's summer-like weather in summer. Or is it just summer weather? Anyway, <laughs> we change over to fall late Friday, and it will feel like fall beyond that. All right. Thanks very much, Christy, and thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.